All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11, if you've got your Bibles, if not, should come up behind me. But Luke chapter 11, making our way through our series, Jesus for Everyone, and uh, just going verse by verse and seeing what God has for us uh, piece by piece as we, uh, as we work, through, uh, work through this book. And this morning, uh, we are going to look at a, a piece of scripture uh, uh, that as one author described, it might be the most repeated set of words in the history of the world. Now, that's a pretty bold claim to say that it's the most repeated set of words in the history of the world. I don't know that there's stats for that sort of thing, uh, but you could make a compelling case for it. It is uh, repeated in churches, in classrooms, on ball fields, in locker rooms, at weddings, and at funerals. The Lord's Prayer is... Uh, even today, in our increasingly uh, secular society, uh, as well known as any mantra or song or saying that our culture offers up uh, today. Uh, I've shared here before that at the age, uh, somewhere around the age of 10, uh, even though I wasn't really in church all that much, I learned the Lord's Prayer, uh, not at church, but because my baseball team began saying the Lord's Prayer prior to every game that we uh, played. Had no idea what I was saying. We just got together, put our put our hats in the in the middle of a circle, and we would just launch into it. And we all knew it. Just within uh, a week or two, we had the whole thing uh, memorized. And so uh, we would say it. And at, at the end, where it says, "Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever," we would always say that with like a little extra juice because. Somehow that we thought that was going to make us play a little bit better uh, as a baseball team. Uh, I'm not. It just seemed to, it seemed to work for us, and uh, and so I. That's how I became familiar with the Lord's Prayer, and I'm sure each of you has your own different way of doing that. Whether it's through uh, a, a version that's been in song, or maybe you've heard it in different places. I'm not sure what your experience has been with it, but uh, many of us uh, do. And in, in just a few words, this little prayer that we're going to look at. Uh, can pack a punch. J.I. Packer says, What it is to be a Christian is nowhere clearer than here in this prayer. Uh, so what I'm going to do is we're going to go ahead and we're going to read the first part of our text for the morning, uh, the Lord, the actual text of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but we're actually not going to spend a lot of time this morning breaking down all the aspects and kind of systematically uh, working through that. We'll do just a little bit of that. But we're actually going to spend just as much, if not more time, in the second half of the text, uh, one that I feel like may be more helpful for us uh, this morning. And what we're going to do is that w- w- while uh, while the, the, the Lord's Prayer may be uh, like the part of this that we've heard and that we're familiar with, it's the whole body of the teaching here that works together. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean whenever I say that. Uh, Jesus is going to paint for us uh, not a picture of cold memorization or of like uh, just just saying from, from like rote memory, but he's going to paint a picture for us about the nature of God, about who God is. And I think the point is, if we properly understand who God is, the rest of the prayer is framed by that, uh, that reality. If you get the person of God right, then, then, then the, the prayer that follows will, will, will just kind of naturally uh, follow. You know I say all the time, what you think when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I, I don't know that that could be any more true than when we pray. So let's read Luke 11, 1 through 4, and let's read the text of the Lord's prayer. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, We'll stop there. If this version sounds a little bit different than the one that you may be memorized or the one that you know, uh, then chances are it's because, like you, you memorized the version that is in Matthew chapter 6, that is in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the, the Mount. Uh, and there's, a, there's some slight differences between the two, uh, the two things that are, that are there. We have both of them, and each one's a little bit different. And so the, the first question is, why is that the case? Should that bother us? that these two versions are a little bit different? Does this mean there's contradictions in the Bible? Does this mean that, that one of them got it wrong and one of them got it right? Well, I'll, I'll give you a couple of reasons, and one, one feeds the, the next. First off, Jesus was an itinerant minister. So what that means is he went around preaching to people all over the place. He wasn't a guy who was just in one place that had like a podcast, and he could say, hey, if you want to know what I think about this, go listen to that podcast. Like right now, I can tell you that Six years ago, we went through the book of Matthew, and I can tell you, go listen to my sermons on the, the, the Lord's Prayer there if you want some uh, kind of a different nuance, a different take on the Lord's Prayer. You can go do that there. Um, so, But Jesus doesn't have that. He's going from place to place, town to town, and he would almost certainly repeat many of the same messages. He would give the same kind of general body of teaching. We talked about this all the way back in Luke 6 when we talked about the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6 versus the Sermon on the Mount in, uh, in Matthew. And so we, we compared those two things and said there's a lot of similarities, but it's not exactly the same, but it's the same likely body of teaching that is uh, that is happening there. So Luke is also relying on the stories and testimonies of others. He wasn't there in person to hear these stories. Uh, he wasn't there where he would get them. He, he, he got them from somebody else. So it would make sense there would be some slight changes and uh, nuances, but the two are very similar, which leads to the second point. Having two versions gives us uh, insight into the nature of this prayer. He is not, Luke is not, Matthew is not, and certainly Jesus is not, interested in giving us, uh, giving us a chant, right? He's not giving us a mantra. He's not giving us just words that are memorized, that we got to get it just right, word perfect. We need to know it in the original Greek, and we need to be able to say it all exactly how it was said. We need to be, that is not what is going on here, because the power is not so much in the specific words. The power is in the meaning and the idea of the words, of what is contained in uh, those words. There's another thing to notice before we get into too much of this, and I don't want to make too big a deal of this because, I'll just be honest, my Greek, which this was written in, is not good enough to, uh, to, to make any like strong conclusions about this. And so if you think this is like not a big deal, then just dismiss it. And you, can, you can file away the next three minutes and, and ignore what I have to say. But uh, I think it's interesting that the way this starts, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. They don't say, teach us how to pray. They say, teach us to pray. Now, there may not be a huge difference in those, but I think there is a nuance there that should not be uh, lost on us. Their request seems less like asking for a recipe and more like learning how to be a chef. 
Do you understand what I mean that? They're, they're not so much asking for specifics to do this thing. They want to know how to prepare the meal th- themselves. You know, there's a difference between teaching someone how to make muffins and teaching someone how to be a baker. And I think there's a difference of that in this request. The request sounds more like they are asking for Jesus to make them a people that pray more like Jesus does. They had just observed him praying when they made their request. And it seems to me that they are saying, teach us to be the kind of people that pray like you do. Not, not give us a script for prayer. Now I want to say real quick, I'm not knocking scripted prayer. There's probably a time I would have gotten up here and done that. Uh, but God has used that in my life. And I kind of have a different, different view of that. There's a place, a good place in the Christian life for scripted prayer. But that's just not what Jesus is doing here in the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And this is important because this is not the typical view of prayer for the average uh, Jewish disciple during this, this time frame. This is not how they would have viewed prayer. They would have anticipated learning specific words and prayers to uh, recite, specific postures, specific times of day, specific locations. How to pray would have been a more normal question to ask. But that's not the question that they asked. Last week, Jordan taught us, about, uh, taught us about how a typical prayer would be, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile or uh, a woman. Uh, that's because that would have been a scripted routine prayer. That wasn't like a, they, they randomly off the cuff prayed that. It would have been a normal prayer for them uh, to pray. It would have been prescribed and regular. That is how prayers worked almost exclusively during this time. If they weren't word for word, they were at least thought for uh, thought and fit into a pattern. And what Jesus prescribes here is a radically different approach to prayer that his disciples have heard from him as he has prayed, but that they don't know themselves. So whatever it is that he's doing, uh, that, that Jesus is doing, his disciples realize we don't talk to God like that. And I, I want you to teach me why you can talk to God like that. that that's basically what they are, they are asking. They don't just want to learn a prayer. They want to learn how to be a prayer. Do you see the difference there? Like that's what they're trying to figure out here. So Jesus begins by instructing them, and we're going to take this first phrase here, uh, and it, it's all we're going to, going to work through in, in this morning in this phrase because it connects us to what will come uh, next. Jesus begins by saying, Father, or in the Matthew version, Our Father. Uh, the more trend, uh, that, so you got those either our father or father just to start, uh, and, and in fact that that start is so uh, familiar and so well known that in some traditions, especially a Catholic tradition, it's not even called the Lord's Prayer. It is called Our Father. You need to go say an Our Father. You need to go and uh, go and do that, and and so uh, that's just kind of how it's it's known. And with that opening, uh, Jesus has already redefined the nature of prayer. By saying, start by saying, Father, Jesus has already radically defined anything the disciples have known as prayer. Uh, R.C. Sproul says, a few years ago, a German scholar was doing research in New Testament literature and discovered that in the entire history of Judaism, and I have no idea how somebody does that level of scholarship where they can say the entire history of Judaism, but in the entire history of Judaism and all existing books of the Old Testament and all existing books of extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D., 
There is not a single reference of, Jew, of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as Father. They just didn't talk like that. That wasn't part of their vocabulary. Uh, yet Jesus' first words here set us up for everything else that follows. There's a world of meaning in that one word, Father. It immediately strips the prayer of all formality which would have been the default mode for any uh, Jewish disciple at the time in prayer. It just strips it of, of all formality and sets the context uh, for, th- for everything else. Think, think of it this way. Think of all the ways that Jesus could have set up uh, this prayer. Like we, We're so used to beginning a prayer by saying, Father, and then uh, launching into our prayer. Like We don't even think about it. But it didn't have to be that way. Think of all the ways that Jesus could have set this up. He could have demanded that we identify ourselves first and explain our lowly position to the high God. You know, this is what happens whenever you come before uh, royalty. You have to begin to bow and lower yourself before them to assert who you are in their presence. Jesus doesn't say to do that. He could have demanded an elaborate salutation to the king of kings. This is a huge part of royal culture, even today. Addressing the queen or king has a very special and specific protocol. For instance, if you were to call the king of England, the king, what's his name? Uh, king Charles. I want to say King George because I am stuck in Revolutionary War history. King Charles, all right? If you were to address King Charles uh, as your royal highness, that sounds good to us Americans. Like, that's great. Your royal highness, King uh, King, Char- <laughs> King George, King Charles, uh, that sounds good to us. But what you, uh, silly American, don't realize is that your royal highness to the king is actually an insult. You don't do that. You don't say your royal highness. That is reserved for the rest of the royal family, not for the king. For the king, it is his majesty, the king. And then you have a specific way to bow and all that other stuff. So you don't say your royal highness to the king. So now, when you meet the King of England, you know what you're supposed to say and how you're supposed to do that. Uh, It would be an embarrassing faux pas for you to do otherwise. Why? Because the protocol is specific, and you have to do it just right. And Jesus could have given us protocol to address God in that way. He could have said, begin all your prayers with your majesty, which would have been totally appropriate. And it's totally appropriate now for us to begin by saying, you know, by addressing the king in his majesty. It is okay for us to do that. The Psalms are full of that kind of stuff. But Jesus is saying, when you pray, this, this is the best way to do it. Address him as father. You know, it's even funny. The king's children, they still have to address their father, not as father, but as What did I even say? His excellency, is that what it is? Majesty, that's it, see? I am totally messed up whenever I meet the king. I'm not going to get it right. Um, So, like, even his family members have to address him that way, not his father. But with the king of kings, Jesus says, you can address him as father. He takes us straight to the throne, and he says, when you talk to him, simply talk to him as a child would his dad. I could spend hours talking about all the implications of that one idea. There are some that have said the whole of Christianity could be summed up in two phrases, the universal brotherhood of man and the universal fatherhood of God. 
And there's an, implica- there's a, a, an ocean of implications found by simply saying, Father. But of all the implications we could spend time on this morning that would bring us much joy and much comfort, I want to look at the implication that Jesus specifically gives us this morning. The implication he teaches his disciples and the one that I think might make all of us better prayers. So look with me in verse 5. I'm just going to read all of this and we're going to break down different parts of it. Luke 11 verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. My door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus explicitly tells us why it's so great that we can talk to God as Father. Because talking to our Father gives us access that not everyone else has and promises a response that no one else can give. Jesus begins all of his, th- this story here by giving this, this example of a friend that shows up and knocks on a friend's door at midnight and needs to get three loaves of bread. He is frantically, desperately trying to get some help. He needs some bread, which doesn't make any sense to us because we're not going to show up at anybody's house at midnight looking for bread. But in this culture, if you have a visitor show up, and this guy has an unexpected visitor show up, if you're not prepared to show hospitality, you might as well leave town for the shame that you have brought upon your name and your family. It is absolutely critical. This is still true today. It is absolutely critical that you are prepared to care for someone that shows up at your door and you show hospitality. And it's equally as offensive to reject that hospitality. You need to be able to to, to care for someone if they show up. This is part of the culture that existed that hospitality was uh, necessary. It's still the mindset Uh, the the mindset today. It's how life is done. Yet this man has no bread. He's been caught completely off guard. Grocery shopping was was tomorrow afternoon. The cupboard is empty. He's got nothing. He's got nothing that he can give. So he runs next door and he starts knocking on his neighbor Mike's door. And he says, Mike, I need some help. Will you please come and care for this very unexpected traveler that has shown up? And so friend, friend one has an unexpected guest and friend two has an unexpected knock on the door asking for help. I actually have some experience with this thing in my life, believe it or not. I, I too, have had an unexpected traveler show up at my house uh, once looking for some much-needed help. This happened about, I think, five or six years ago, maybe longer. It's a little bit fuzzy. There are some aspects, I'll tell you this up front, of this story that are super clear to me, and there are some aspects that are still a little bit fuzzy. Like, it's kind of weird. I remember parts of this and others uh, not so much. But my family was home on a... Uh, a, a weeknight, I had come back, I think, from soccer practice with Abby at the time, and I had begun cooking dinner. Emily was, I think, in the shower, I think, but 
uh, I'm not sure, after, after working out, and, and I had some music on, and I was cooking uh, what I think was fajitas for dinner. Like I said, this is like oddly specific parts to this, and parts I don't really remember. Uh, but I thought I heard a knock on our door, and I was like, I think I heard something, but the music's playing. I'm cooking. Like, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what is going on. Um, and so I say, hey, Isaiah, I think I heard the door. And so, I mean, Isaiah would have been like, I don't know, like seven or eight at the time. I was like, Isaiah, like, I think I heard something at the door. Can you see if there's somebody at the door? And I went about my business, kept on uh, cooking. And for whatever reason, my kids don't just like open the door. Uh, I think they're afraid to like talk to humans. And so they, they go to the window. And so Isaiah looks out the window, and when he looks out the, the, the window, uh, he, he, uh, he, he looks out there and he says, it's somebody from church. And I was like, what? I'm not expecting any, any visitors. We're not right here in town. We're out of the way just a little bit. It's not really like walking distance to my house. So like, I'm like, I, I don't know who that would be. It but I do exactly what every one of you would do whenever you hear that. I make an immediate assessment as to how filthy my house was. Like, how messy is it in here right now? To which I was like, ah, this is not good. Um, but uh, it, the, the music was playing. Obviously, we're home, so I can't hide. And I'm like, and then Isaiah says, I think it's Lainey's mom. And I'm like, wait, what? I was so confused. So I go over to the door, and then sure enough, there stands uh, Melissa Summy at the door. Uh, and uh, not the kind, smiling Melissa that you probably encountered on the way in this morning. Um, her, her hair was a bit disheveled. Uh, she had some like black smudges on her face. Uh, her clothes were a little dirty, and she was holding a bicycle helmet in her hand. In her hand if I remember uh, correctly, uh, and she wasn't happy about any of it, not at, not at all. Uh, I'd give anything to have a picture of this moment like, <laughs> that I could show you right now. I so wish I had this picture. Um, I'm not sure if, if she had, like, whatever, her bike decided to stop working. I'm not sure if it was a flat tire or a chain that had come off. I'm not sure what it is, but she had decided to, uh, as she, she said to me, uh, go for a bike ride on faith. Uh, and so she didn't have her phone with her on her bike ride and had gone out and had made it over towards our house, which is not a short distance between our, uh, our homes. And uh, so, 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 like, I'm standing there at the door, fajitas on the stove, and really confused as to why Melissa is, like, standing there. Like, what, what is going on here? Uh, and so I immediately try to, like, rush through all of that, open the door, tell her to, to come in and assess what I could do. And uh, yeah, I'm like, how did you get here? Like, I'm looking around for a car. There's no car. She's like, it's, the details are not really relevant. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, she had walked evidently a pretty good way. I don't even know where the bike actually was, but she had walked a good way to our house. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't remember anything else she said for the rest of this time. I don't remember any of it because the whole scene was so absurd that that's what I remember. I just need to call David or let her call David so that she can be rescued because clearly that is what she, uh, she needs. And so uh, she, she, she came in, sat at the table, made a phone call, uh, and waited for David to come and rescue her. And I went and told Emily, like, 
hey, Melissa is here and has stopped by, to which Emily's like, who's here? What? What are you talking about? And I'm like, it's a long story. You just need to come out here. Uh, Now, as a good friend, I wanted to do all I could to help out uh, a traveler in need, because that's what a good friend does. Uh, But in Jesus' story that is happening right here, uh, this good friend Mike is asleep. This was like at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night, right? This was like... This was like normal, normal time. But in Jesus' story, uh, this guy Mike was asleep. Mike is not interested in helping his friend uh, at all. He says, go away. I'm trying to sleep here. He says, my family's already in bed. You're going to wake the baby. Leave me alone. Jesus says he may not help him if he is his friend. But you know what will make him get out of bed and help him? His impudence. I had no idea what that meant. So I had to look it up. Uh, and, and when I did, I, legit, it, it pretty much means being super obnoxious, like to the point of almost being rude. That's basically what that means. He wouldn't shut up until Mike got out of bed to help him. That's basically what Jesus says. He would not shut up until Mike got out of bed to help him. It's kind of like my dog, Lucy, this week. If you guys have been to my house, you guys have met Lucy. She's a doodle. Uh, and evidently, the poodle side of her is like, uh, can be a problem because poodles are very protective. I didn't know this. Uh, but at 3.30 in the morning on what I think is Tuesday morning, but all the days of the week have run together for me here. At 3.30, I think on Tuesday morning, Lucy lost her ever-loving mind barking. Just went bananas. She would not shut up. So I had to get up and see what was going on because the whole house was probably already awake, but about to be very awake. And her bark is very loud and very annoying. Uh, And for for some reason, right outside my next door neighbor's house at 3.30 in the morning was a work truck. Flashing lights parked right outside their driveway, cone behind the, 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 the car and everything. So like it wasn't going anywhere. And I'm like, what? What is going on? And Lucy was not having it. She was barking like crazy. She sensed danger, and she would not stop her very loud, very obnoxious barking until I got up and sat with her until this threat left about 30 minutes later. At 3.30 a.m., I was quietly yelling, and I know that's an oxymoron, but you know what I'm saying. I was quietly yelling, Shut up, Lucy. You are so obnoxious. Stop it. But it worked. What she wanted was for me to get out of bed and check out what the heck was going on outside. The obnoxious, loud barking worked. It got me up. If she had just come in like, 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 licked my face a little and been like, hey, come check on this thing, I would not have gotten up. But because she was so loud and so annoying, I got up. It got me out of bed. And Jesus is going to take that image and say, that's how you can come to your father. Well, that seems crazy, right? Nobody says you should be rude and go to God. Like, you're supposed to come with, with great humility and low down and, 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 and bow down before him and, and, you know, in awe of his presence and, and all of those things, right? That, that's, that's what we think of when we think of prayer. But, but, but what Jesus says is, you can be like a loud, obnoxious, barking dog that won't shut up when you go to your father. Jesus said that this, this friend pounding on the door is like Lucy. And Jesus says, go be like that with God. Let's 
Let's, let's read this next part again. He says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So Jesus just kind of keeps going. He doesn't just stop with saying that the door will be opened if you are loud enough and obnoxious enough. He doesn't just say that the door will be opened. He's going to tell us what happens after that. Because Mike could always come to the door and say, you rude, self-centered, baby-waking jerk, you need to leave my house, get off my stoop, and leave me alone so I can sleep. Or he could even just like just grab whatever he's got left over in the kitchen, like the, the, the leftover chips and guac from the game that day. He'd be like, here, just take this. Surely that'll be good enough for him. Just take the leftovers that I got. That's what serves you right, coming here at midnight and not being prepared. He says he, he could do that. But Jesus says that God won't do that. Your father won't do that. He's going to give you exactly what you need. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So do you need something? Then pound on that door till he answers. And then know that when he answers... He is not going to send you away with some half-hearted trinket to satisfy your momentary problem that you have just to get you to stop knocking. I, legitimately, I tried that with Lucy. I tried giving her a treat. Like, will you just like eat this treat so I can go back to bed? And I think she took that as like, oh, this, you're rewarding me for being a good dog, for being so loud. Um, because that did not work at, at all. I was trying to give her a trinket to get her to be quiet. But that, that didn't work. And God's not going to do that with us. He's going to give you exactly what you need. He's not just going to give us something to keep us quiet. And he's certainly not going to give us something that would harm us. If we know how to give something good to our friends that ask, we must, we must know that God is better than us. He is not some random friend or a neighbor or even a benevolent distant king. He is our Father, and He is good. But the question comes, and it's a good one. Does that mean He gives us everything we ask for and everything we think we need or want? Because if so, why is my bank account so low? If so, why is my boss such a jerk, and why can't I find a better job? If so, why did this health report come back so poor? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why is my life so jacked up? Why are my parents so dumb? Why is my pain so real and my suffering so long? I didn't ask for any of those, and yet here I sit surrounded by scorpions and serpents. If God doesn't give those things out, why does it feel like I have a a, a life surrounded by those things? It's a question that every one of you in this room will ask. Every single one of you. Some of you are asking it right now. 
Some of you asked it when you were, you were a, a child about your childhood. Maybe you didn't even realize it or something uh, that, that you've reflected on and, and you're asking it about your child. Some of you are, 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 are thinking about things in the recent past and others uh, are, are, are thinking about other things that maybe have gone on or have happened. And some feel like it's the only thing you've ever gotten from anyone, scorpions and serpents. But to do that is to read Jesus' instruction wrong. You see, our tendency is to look at that horrible, awful thing that, 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 is, that you are going through or that, that has been done or that you have been given and say, how could you give me this, God? I thought you were good. That's what you told me. But that presumes the awful thing is from his hand. And while there are times, and we have to have a category for this, there are times that, that we get things, that, that God gives us things that we think are bad. After all, the writer of Hebrews says that God disciplines those who, whom he loves. So we have to have a category for that, right? But the overwhelming biblical picture is that in, broken, in a broken, sinful, and often wicked world, we will be surrounded by snakes and scorpions. There will be things that seek to bring us harm. But those are not the things that God has given us. Instead, they are the things that lead us to be the man banging on the door at midnight and and pleading with God to hear our cry and saying, God, help me. I've got nothing in my house that can help me with this. I need your help here. And he says, plead with your father to have that thing. Plead with your father and, 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 and lay this out for and say, plead with him to give us that thing that we need, that thing that saves us, that thing that we look at and, and, and we can say, then my father was there for me because he is a good father who delights to hear the pleading and the request of his children. Everything in our life, is, it, it, it is a failure on our part to, 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 to look at everything in our life and say, Say, God, why did you give me this thing? In a sinful, broken world, the reality is those things are all around us all the time. And if you aren't walking through it now, you will walk through it at some point. You will deal with this. And you're going to have to have a category to figure out, what do I do with the fact that somebody has put a serpent or a scorpion in my hand or, or says uh, elsewhere a, a rock instead of, instead of bread? So, somewhere, we're going to have to have a category to say, when you're surrounded by that stuff, when that stuff is in your life how did it get there and it gets there by sin and it gets there by brokenness and it gets there by by the, the depravity of this world and then we have to be able to say all right god where are you in this and jesus says here's where he is he's 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 right next door he's right there waiting for you to bang on his door and say dad i want you i need you come and help me And he says that the father delights to hear that. He loves to hear that. He wants the request of his children. Psalm 18 says it this way. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Do you feel that way? That God delights in you. If you are his child, he does. He delights in you.
if we delight in our children, if they are the apple of our eye, how much more does a good and perfect father delight in his? This is the gospel that we live and celebrate every day as Christians. This is the gospel. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died that we may be co-heirs with him, brothers and sisters. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It's absurd in its beauty that we would be fellow heirs with the Son of God. The only way that's true is if we are children too. And if he delights in us the way he delights in Jesus. And that's the gospel. That we might have access to the Father that we might receive anything when we, when, we, when we pound on that door, when we pound on the, the, the outside of the, of the fortress of the castle where the king lives, and we wake the king up with our obnoxious pounding, that he would give us anything other than wrath is incredible. The only people who get to pound on a door like that are his children. And that's it. And not only do we not receive wrath, we actually receive something good. Something really good. We don't have to address him as his majesty, though it's good and right when we do that. But we get to say, Dad, and he'll come to our side, and he'll give us exactly what we need. Because he is good, and we are his. Let's pray. Father, it is our confession that so often we do not pray not just because we do lack the discipline, not just because we lack the... Um, the effort, not just because we, we lack the, the, the things that are required to do the daily tasks, but because we don't see you rightly. We don't see you as your word tells us you are. We run in fear and shame. We see ourselves the other direction. We see ourselves as, as not needing you, that we'll just figure it out ourselves. We see you as far and removed. And even though we wouldn't say it that way, our our prayer life echoes that truth. And and we realize that we, we don't pray because we don't actually know you in that kind of relationship. As our Father, who delights in us and longs to give us good gifts. 
So, Father, in a world full of serpents and scorpions that seem to be nipping at our heels all around us, we trust that you have not given those to us, but as our good Father, you have said, come to me. You are mine, and I'll give you what you need. So, Father, help us to do that right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.